Welcome to Super Aging Podcast. This podcast strives to promote healthy aging and amplify caregiver voices while raising awareness about dementia. Thank you for listening. I am your host, Patu Sise. Today, I am speaking with Bill Cohen. Mr. Cohen is a caregiver support group leader and speaker, an Alzheimer's Association volunteer, a certified senior advisor, and the owner of Cohen Caregiving Support Consultant. His loving and talented mother, Sheila, lost her home to Hurricane Katrina. Then she lost her health, ability to create beautiful art, and ultimately her life due to Alzheimer's. For almost 10 years, Bill was her primary caregiver and advocate, not just her elder son. Bill shares his story and journey with his late mother, answers specific questions and concerns, and provides advice on how to manage care and behavior and how to practice self-care and prevention. Bill has completed multiple caregiving and aging courses through the Alzheimer's Association and Society for Certified Senior Advisors, has a financial services and government background and and business degree from Boston and Portland State Universities. He has lived in Portland, Oregon area for 37 years with his wife of 41 years, Lori. Please welcome to Super Agent Podcast, Bill. Very excited to be here. Thanks for having me. It's truly an honor to have you here to talk about your journey with um, caregiving for your mother, but also it is even more relevant that you are a caregiver to your mom and she had Alzheimer's and November is the National Caregiver Month and Mm -hmm. we talk about caregivers who are caring for people with Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And as you know, the dominant gender for caregiving tend to be women. So it's wonderful to have you here to share your perspective and your journey with us today. So thank you so much for being here. My pleasure, my pleasure. Yes, with Alzheimer's and dementia in general is a women's issue because the vast majority <laughs> of the caregivers, the care recipients, and the service providers and professionals are women, my social media platforms, so uh, Facebook community, my Instagram bears that out 80 to 85% women. Wow. Yeah, that is so true. Mm-hmm. That is so true. So first, we're going to begin with Super Agent because we are on a Super Agent podcast. Mm-hmm. So what does Super Agent means to you, Bill? That's a great question. I'd love to ask it. One of the things I immediately think about are the Blue Zone cities. Huh, that we yeah. many of us have heard about Loma Linda, California, Italy, mm-hmm. Japan, Costa Rica, Greece, and how they have been shown through studies to be the super centenarians and, mm-hmm. and they live longest. And they have some wonderful behaviors and practices. You know, there's probably some genetics and cultural and things like that, as well as what they eat, what they breathe, how they exercise. But overall, there's some common threads. And I like to think back to my family and my mom. Mm. I'm not going to get into all the details, but usually we think in terms of genetics and age as Mm. being the greatest risk factors for Alzheimer's. Now, we know we're all living longer, and that's part of the reason why 
more people are showing signs of dementia and Alzheimer's, yeah. mm -hmm. but also younger people in their 50s and, and even younger. Right. But very briefly, my mom was in her early 70s, which wasn't very old, when she was showing mm -hmm. symptoms. Nobody else in the family has Alzheimer's. So it's not just genetics and age, it's also behaviors, lifestyle, and your environment. And, right. I, and I don't have the same risk factors as my mom, but I'm still very proactive and keep in mind some of the things that you talk about that will help us age in a super way and the best quality of life. I like to jokingly say that I'm mostly organic, modified Mediterranean omnivore, yeah. omnivore. Mm -hmm. I eat everything, but try to as healthy as possible. And yes. very physically active, socially active, mentally active. And this is something that a lot of people can uh, learn from, from us and your listeners. Mm -hmm. The other thing is that most of my aunts and uncles mm -hmm. are living into their mid-80s to 90. That and that's everything they're doing pretty well, the ones who are still alive or yeah. were. And mm -hmm. I figure if they live that long, and didn't take care of themselves. I should live well into my 90s. I hope to be a super centenarian myself. <laughs> You're doing all the best to take care of yourself. Trying my best uh, within yeah. my control, right? Exactly. You do everything that's within your control. So I, I really, I really like that, and I think that's how we should live our lives mm -hmm. because there is real power in taking charge of our health by doing all that is right. For us, then whatever end up happening, then that's out of our control. But what we have within our control, we do well with that. Thank you so much for sharing that. Another factor of that is what we're going through right now globally with mm -hmm. the pandemic. I'm not the first person to say this, but how would the pandemic have been if we had been a healthier society? If we were eating better and watching our weight and uh, especially obesity and right. Junk food that people eat. Yeah. You know, that's a really good point. And I think we would have done much better with this pandemic than we, we did. You know, that comment that you did, um, Bill, reminds me of Dr. Chen. I, I had a conversation with him some time ago mm -hmm. and on the podcast, and he mentioned how when you're going to even like have, let's say, a procedure at the hospital. Mm -hmm. You should do well. You should try to be at your best health. You know, you should try to prepare yourself, eat well, you know, do all the things that you can do to improve your health even before you get there. So if we were, you know, and that is prepping for like, let's say a procedure. Mm -hmm. So I, I think to your point, if we were in a better health state, before the pandemic and then we hit the pandemic, I think the damage would not be as great as it is Absolutely. that we, we suffered from. Mm -hmm. But we, we, we don't want to get into the whole discussion about big food, AMA, big pharma. That's a whole another discussion, right? That That is so true. That is so true. So now going back to our initial mentioning of November being a caregiver month, and uh, what, what is the significance of this to you, Bill? This is something that speaks right to my heart because mm -hmm. when I was on that 10-year journey with my mom, and I know how I felt when I first mm -hmm. started, 
over about 16, 17 years ago. And by the way, I should say that if you had told me back then what was going to transpire and I'd be sitting here today talking to you Mm -hmm. and doing what I do, I'd say, no, crazy. Couldn't predict that. Wow. And when mom was first showing signs and then Mm -hmm. definitely was worse after the trauma of the hurricane and losing her home, and it accelerated and exacerbated whatever was coming on. We realized later it was Alzheimer's, mm-hmm. uh, that I felt alone. I felt yeah. uh, hopeless. I felt stressed out. Overw- there were so many things to learn, so many yeah. things to deal with. And I felt definitely alone. But one of the first things I did was going to a support group. Mm-hmm. And that same support group, by the way, 16 years later, I'm the facilitator of the past eight years. Wow. So mm-hmm. I real I realized how important it was to get that help, get that support, know that others were going through what I was going through. Others mm-hmm. either or had lost their, their loved one and were helping others go mm-hmm. through their journey. So that you it's in a safe environment and it helped me get through that time period. Right. There are a lot of other factors. So to be able to call attention to how most caregivers are healing and not just those with dementia, but other right. chronic illnesses, mm-hmm. uh, it, it is a lonely journey and there are ways to reach out and get support and help. You don't have to go it alone. You know, that is such an important message that you're sending because a lot of caregivers just like you mentioned at the beginning, before they find all the supports, and even if they do find those supports, the journey itself can be very lonely and tough as you as, as it go keep going. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. What was it like to be a caregiver to your mom dealing with Alzheimer's? So one aspect about that was that this is part of the story too. As mm-hmm. I mentioned, she was in Biloxi, Mississippi. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, long distance. Yes, it definitely was that. And that I started making trips to Biloxi to, to say, Mom, would you like some help with your finances, with your taxes? Oh, yes, mm-hmm. please do come. And then taking her to a doctor. We weren't sure what was going on right. uh, and making those trips. Then, and she was in the caregiver role for my late stepfather. Okay. And, we were, and we were thinking that, if she, either he went into a care community or passed away, would she bounce back? Was she just stressed? Was she getting older? Was she getting tired and worn out? But because of the hurricane, we never get an opportunity to find out Hmm. because the storm made her condition a lot worse. Then suddenly I'm having to make trips back to the East Coast because she was with family in North Carolina and then Florida. I'm starting to go to that support group. I'm starting to get counseling. I'm holding down a full-time job and a very, shall we say, an unfortunate uh, supervisor or boss at work. Mm-hmm. So my stress level is sky high. Sky wow. high. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I, can I did. And then I moved my mom out here to Oregon in 2008. She was in a care community for five years, four of which were memory care. And it's like, I say this often. It's not that any situation is better or worse, easier or harder. It's just different. It's different. Because I went from the long distance caregiving, along with dealing with all her financial and legal and other matters. Right. 
after the storm and et cetera, and take, becoming power of attorney, health representative, then moving her out here and be thinking about her every day, even though I wasn't there at the care community. I'm at my job and every time the phone rings and it says, blah, blah, name of the care home, I said, oh God, what is it? And they said, don't worry, your mom's fine. <laughs> but you know, she needed a Band-Aid or whatever. So, but every time that phone rang, you know. Yeah, oh God, you stumbled, yeah. So the stress level was horrible. And, but, I, but I was so glad that I got counseling through my work and I went to that support group and I reached out. My family was a good as far as a support team. Okay. And there are different kinds. Maybe you've heard of the studies from Emory University. They have a caregiving class called Savvy. And they talk about the different kinds of caregiving families, which can encompass friends and neighbors, et cetera. Right, right. It could be solitary. I was doing most of it. It can be collaborative where all the family gets together. It can mm-hmm. be sequential. But then there's always those family members who are off in a distance and making suggestions and they're not really helping i hear you i was fortunate that i had the support of my family or else it would have been a lot worse yeah it's wonderful to have support of your family because like you said some caregivers can take a sideline or not even caregivers but some family members can just sit from the back and sort of dictate how things should work and not work and Mm. Not be hands-on, you know, I've, I've seen that in my work right. all the time. So, right. And that can go along with what you, we were talking about with the National Caregiver Month, is that if somebody has not been through that journey, if they have not been doing the caregiving, they don't understand. They don't know what you're going it, through. And it's is, very easy to use the uh, American sports analogy about the Monday morning quarterback, and it's easy to say things when you're not there and you're not doing it. Right, right. That is true. And I have a couple of suggestions to people on those lines. So well, let's so, let's hear those because that that would be very important. Bill, give us those suggestions here. So one is when somebody is making suggestions like that and they're not doing anything, is saying that's a great idea. Why don't you take that on? <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so either they will finally step up, or they might just say they'll be quiet. <laughs> Zip. Because they don't want to help. The other is, Mm -hmm. "Hmm, that's an interesting suggestion. I'll think about it and then ignore it. Especially if if it's not in your loved one, your person with dementias or other chronic condition in their best interest. Those other people may have their own agendas. That is true. That is true. Those are good suggestions. Thank you for sharing those. What do you think is the difference between caregiving for someone with Alzheimer's and caregiving for someone without any form of dementia? That's a great question. And a lot of times people ask me, do you help other caregivers, people who are not dealing with a form of dementia? Mm-hmm. And to some extent, yes, I can, because to a great extent, caregiving is caregiving. But there are specific needs, yes, of course, between, mm-hmm. say, dementia, cancer, Parkinson's, stroke, uh, those kind of other conditions. And, and what I can do is I can find resources for those other conditions, even if I don't specialize in them. That's not my experience. But I think the main difference is that in the case of people with other conditions, they are aware of what's wrong with them mm-hmm. to a certain extent, which can be frustrating, but they can also help probably with their own care depending on, but Alzheimer's increasingly, they cannot help and they don't know what's happening to them. 
the early stages are actually more difficult because they're confused, they're frustrated, they're angry, they're striving, they're, they're struggling for their independence and, the, and their lives. Mm. But later on, as things progress, most kinds of dementia, very often they become a little easier to manage because they're not really aware of what has happened to them. But unfortunately, increasingly, they can't help take care of themselves, the ADLs, the activities of daily living. Right, right. You know, you mentioned your mom's symptoms were showing when she was at 70. How long did she live afterwards? About 10 years. About 10 years. From the time she became symptomatic, it was about a 10-year journey. 10 years, okay. Yeah, she passed away at 83. And the, and the biggest things were she was starting to not handle the finances, not mm. keep the house clean, the taxes. Uh, she was, like I said, in the caregiving role, mm-hmm. but she was also showing confusion, more anxiety, stress, right. yeah. yeah, mood yeah. swings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And you mentioned the you were lo- one of the lucky ones to have a supportive family members who worked with you to support your mom through this journey. Can you share with us what are the import? What is really the importance of having such support network as you walk the caregiving journey? Mm-hmm. So part of it is, and my focus, as you probably read, yes, is is on the caregiver, mm-hmm. and that's one of the differences between me and most of the people in dementia and senior care. Most right. of the focus is on the person, ju- rightly so, on mm-hmm. the person who is aging or has a physical or mental condition. Mm-hmm. And my focus is on the caregivers because who's asking them, how are you doing? What resources do you need? Are you taking care of yourself? Right. In fact, a lot of friends and family don't do that enough either. Mm-hmm. Uh, the focus is again on the person with the with the medical condition. Mm-hmm. So if the, the key is to ask. The key is to say, I need to take care of myself because they're they're not only going to they can get burned out, mm-hmm. they can get That's sick, yeah. and or sick or worse. Yeah. When it comes to dementia, especially Alzheimer's, the mm-hmm. majority of caregivers predecease the person with the disease, yeah. which is sad and it's avoidable. So yeah. they can't try to do it alone. They need to enlist help, and this is where. Asking help from family and friends and neighbors and ex-coworkers, religious organizations, other mm-hmm. charities in the area is very, very important. It can your family, so to speak, can be a lot broader than just your immediate family. That is traditionally in the past, and some cultures are still this way. It used to be multi-generational and extended mm-hmm. family in the home, but most families aren't like that now. Yeah, things have changed. Times have changed. Very changed. So that's important, not only for, it's in nobody's best interest, the person with dementia or other condition, and it's definitely not in your your best interest either, because if you get sick or worse, you can't take care of them either. Right, absolutely. And and we want to be prepared, we want to be proactive, we want to be planning, not having to react in a crisis. What if the caregiver gets sick and is incapacitated, and somebody else is going to have to step in and say, like, what do I do? What do I do? So having a solid team around that caregiver is important in that process. And And, and and it it doesn't mean necessarily doing the hands-on caregiving. 
right. It could be handling right. the finances. It could be mm-hmm. making, doing orders. It yeah, could, maybe it even picking up groceries, you know, all yeah. of that can be part of it and getting medication from the pharmacy, you know, things that, exactly. that, that are not hands-on, but yet are needed in the process. It's important. So yeah, thanks for sharing that. I know you facilitate a caregiver support group. Mm-hmm. Tell us what is the importance of that? Like, why do the caregiving community need to come together to get that support from each other? I'm going to paraphrase things that I hear from my groups, from mm-hmm. the attendees. Yeah. Uh, and I lead three different groups. One mm-hmm. is the Alzheimer's group. I was the Alzheimer's Association group that I been a part of for 16 years. The other is for a nonprofit in the Portland, Vancouver area that I do a weekly support group. Okay. And it's right across the street. Yeah, okay. I'm I'm across the street from a care community. Okay. That's great. Yeah, it was built after we moved here, which is a serendipity, as you guess we could say. Yeah. And absolutely. so that's every week. And then I have uh, and I think you'll have it in the show notes, my Facebook community, Dementia Support Group for Caregivers with Bill Cohen. And yeah. once a month, we have a virtual support group as well. So That's all of them are yeah, virtual. I'll definitely share that on the show notes so that people can go in there and follow you and be part of that group. I'm pretty sure that's, that would be beneficial. Mm-hmm. Because they can they can access it from all, all over the country, which they right. do. And my Facebook community is on six continents, members. Oh, wow. wow. I haven't found anybody in Antarctica yet. <laughs> wow. <laughs> no penguins. No penguins. So that, yes. That is great. That is great, Bill. So again, it goes back to feeling getting awareness, learning, knowing you're not alone, feeling safe, feeling uh, you know, it's confidential. Mm-hmm. People say about the group that I'm always learning something. I always feel better afterwards. One of the most gratifying things, whether it's in a sport group or my clients, mm-hmm. the first time they come and they're stressed. And at first, they don't, it looks like they don't want to say anything. They don't yeah. know, you know, where to go. And you can see the stress start to come out of their face. Mm-hmm. They may grab for some tissue and start tearing up. Yeah. Because they know that they've come to a place for support and mm-hmm. they won't feel alone. And that's very, very gratifying to me. Because I know we've made the first step. Yes, yes, that is true. And that's how I felt. <laughs> and if it had not been a good experience, that first group 16 years ago, I may not be sitting here today. That is true. When mom passed away, I might have said, goodbye, I'm done. I've done my thing. Mm-hmm. Which is what unfortunately most people do. Yeah. You know, but I don't blame them. I understand. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you stick to it and you're helping many people along the way. And we will talk about your career and your journey as we continue this conversation. But um, first, can, if you can explain to me what are some of the best strategies um, to manage care and behavior? It's a very broad question, but it's a really good and important one. Okay. Uh, especially when it comes to dementia, that's one of the most difficult things for caregivers to deal with because of the mood swings and the paranoia, the repeated questions. Uh, it, it can be very, very difficult. So it's Knowing that those are coming, mm-hmm. we need to be prepared for them. Be right. prepared. You know that that anger or that frustration is going to come out. You know that that repeated question 
Like, when are we going to the doctor? When are we going to the doctor? Did we eat? Did we eat? That type of thing over and over again. And I told you, right? Or I, you correct them. Uh, it's very easy to fall into that trap. But right. one, a little bit like a kid that's having a tantrum. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you don't necessarily have to respond. Right. You, you can wait a little bit and wait for that behavior, that mood to, to, to move on. I used to do that with mom. We had a very loving relationship. We got along great. And, but sometimes she'd get angry at me. If there was the disease, wasn't personal. I learned that. True. Yes. And I said, mom, I'll be back in a few minutes. Yeah. And about 10, 15 minutes, I walk back in. Ah, oh, there you are. Everything's fine. <laughs> or if they get angry, remember an hour later or the next day, They'll forget about it. You get to right, start all over. Right, right. But, but going back to things like the repeated questions, behaviors, again, mm-hmm. be prepared, knowing, okay, late in the day, we've all taught, heard about, or most people have heard about sundowners. Mm-hmm. Late in the day becomes very difficult. Uh, they become more anxious or tired, uh, that type of thing. And sometimes they're just bored. So anticipate, maybe document when those things are happening and say, okay, at four o'clock, this is going to happen. Let's get them active in something or let's get them something to eat. Let's go for a walk. Let's go for ice cream, something to take them off uh, their their anxiety. And Mm -hmm. and that can really come in handy. And at the same time, that documentation, it can also take the form of journaling for yourself, but also documenting for the geriatric physician. This is what's Mm -hmm. going on, right? Because we don't spend much time in that doctor's office these days with our med- medical system, especially yeah. Medicare. Yes. And so the more that they can see beyond those 10, 15 minutes, I'm fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 then they have that documentation. They know more of what's going on. Oh, okay. Maybe we can suggest this with their activities. Maybe mm-hmm. we can give them a little bit of this kind of medication to take mm-hmm. the edge off. Because usually it's going to be some combination of that a lot of times when they're acting like that they're just bored yeah and we need to find there again going back to the caregiving uh class i i teach and i learn from savvy mm-hmm. we talk about contented involvement you mm-hmm. have simple broken down tasks to keep them occupied it doesn't matter if they take forever to do it it doesn't matter if they do did it differently than you would right. like like putting things in the dishwasher Mm-hmm. Well, holding towels doesn't matter how they did it they're occupied they're content they're doing something that but not can. but not sitting in front of the tv right right that's the worst thing for them because they're not getting that stimulus they're not getting that activity to help prolong their quality of life absolutely that is so important to mention and you mentioned also putting down notes and taking Mm -hmm. note of things that are happening so that when you're going to the doctor's office, you're actually Mm -hmm. prepared to go, go say one, two, three, this is what's going on rather Mm -hmm. than sitting and thinking about all that had happened in the last three months and mom looking good and having a great conversation at the doctor's office. Doctor is like, oh yeah, everything looks good. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll see you in a year or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. So on caregivers, it's really good to take those notes and go to the doctor's office. It will be more effective, more productive, and you'll get more out of it. So mm-hmm. I'm glad you shared that. I'd like to give a quick little story about behaviors. Again, okay. I mentioned the repeated questions. 
Mm-hmm. So moms, I'm going to make, make this a little shorter than usual, is she would ask, are there any good movies out there? Can we go to a movie? Mm-hmm. Aren't going to any more movies. And <laughs> <laughs> half the time in the bathroom. Uh, so I would start saying whatever movie name came into my head, <laughs> yes. Titanic, Butch Cassidy, Casablanca, Gone to the Wind. Didn't matter because she was getting an answer. Yeah. It didn't know any different. It was doing no harm. Mm-hmm. I was keeping my sanity inside, but I was also right. having a little laugh inside. Inside. So you try doing a little improvisation, improv. <laughs> It'll help you keep your sanity. <laughs> Humor is always good on these things. Humor is always good. Yeah, I would start to make jokes with her big, uh, and, and try to keep her laughing. It's interesting that as she progressed, she didn't have much of a sense of humor in the past. And I think that was her insecurity or inhibitions. And once those inhibitions and filters came away, she got a better sense of humor. She laughed a lot more. Oh, good. <laughs> good. So you turn your experience to a passion and now your career and became a certified senior advisor. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that and what does that entail? Okay. So along with being a caregiving support consultant, mm-hmm. my focus is on the caregiver so they can take care of themselves as well as their person living with dementia or another kind. Right. And again, it is managing the care. It's managing behaviors, practicing self-care. Mm-hmm. I provide advice, support, resources, and referrals. Mm-hmm. Help them lower their stress. Help them sleep better at night. Try to take some right. things off their plate. I coordinate and put together their team. They're a team advisors. Most people in our field have one focus, like it's in-home care or it's the elder law or it's housing or some other factor. I'm helping coordinate all of it. Wow. Because the team is very important that they're all talking to each other. And that's where being a certified senior advisor comes into play. It's a broader perspective and it's holistic approach okay to taking care of your elder right yeah that's pretty much it and i I collaborate with all the different service providers and professionals you know all the um things that you mentioned that you take off the plates of caregivers must be a huge relief for those people that you you help um uh help with Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. I like to tell a little story about a gentleman who became a client and it took him a long time to call to some uh, to get a referral and to ask for help because his wife was a gerontologist. Mm -hmm. She got Alzheimer's. Yes. And she actually subbed at my support group many years ago. Okay, I I knew her. I met her. And and she didn't want anybody to know because she would be embarrassed. Oh. So he he was seemed really stressed out. And I said, so which of these is, is your case? Are you uh, the only one who can do it right? Not You don't want to admit that you can't handle it? Mm-hmm. Are you in denial? Is it control issues? He said all the above. Right. Oh, wow. Yeah. He realized he, he needed to finally get some help. Yeah. Do you think that has to also do with stigma, though? Stigma? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, in yeah, in and I, I know we were going to talk it's about that somebody with especially with that background would be embarrassed about mm-hmm. having a disease, you right. know, as if they have control over what's happening to them with the disease. Right, and he was probably trying to protect her. Yeah, her wishes. Absolutely, he he was well meaning, but at her expense as well as his own and the rest of his family until he started pulling the family, his son, daughter-in-law and others into the care circle, the support circle. Yeah. What does your experience as a caregiver and now as a a senior advisor taught you? So, and I know you uh, were also thinking about what what do I wish I had known back then? Yes. Yeah, And I think it goes back to uh, my feeling of loneliness way back then. I'm glad that I just started attending that Alzheimer's Association support group, and they are all over the country, and most of them are still virtual, that, that there are resources, there is information. The problem is, back then, it was a lot less. Right. There weren't as many directories. There, weren't as, there wasn't as much information yet on the internet. Now, there's a lot of information. The problem is, there's a lot of misinformation. And that's a big problem. Selling stuff, making claims. And how do you know from all these resources, all these professionals, all these service providers, who can you trust? Who's the best person? Who mm-hmm. is vetted? And I think that's where somebody like myself or other advisors can help a caregiver through that journey because we are collaborating with other people who are trustworthy. Now, I think one of the biggies to me was, for instance, even though there was one care community that I have in mind because I knew it was very good reputation, it was nonprofit, it was faith-based, and that's where she ended up. I was worried she couldn't afford it or couldn't get in. She okay. did, fortunately. That I didn't know about the senior housing advisors. I didn't know about the adult placement specialists. Right. Because we were just doing the old line about let your fingers through the walking through the elevators, you know, making phone calls, right? Yeah. So now, again... You have many more resources, but you could be kept going down all these rabbit holes on the internet trying to find resources instead of looking to good resources and right. professionals that can direct you to the right people. Yeah, I think you mentioned misinformation that is out there. There is a lot of those. And definitely, too, I think the other thing is there is not only misinformation, but there is a lot of information out there that can be overwhelming, especially for caregivers, because they already have too much that they are doing. And then they have to try to sort out what's best within all these options that is presented to them. So I think that can also be a challenge for them. But where do you see a missing gap right now that needs that you would say it's need filling for caregivers? This is something that dwells on my mind quite a bit. Okay. Because obviously I can't be contacting caregivers. That wouldn't work. Mm-hmm. It's them being able to know about and find resources like myself or others. So mm-hmm. I think it's still that caregivers need to know where to go, where to reach out, where to find that support and find good, reliable uh, professionals and service providers, where whatever it is. And that's where I think you can find a lot from support groups. You can find a lot from 
again, groups like the Alzheimer's Association. Right. A lot of people say, Bill, you are well-connected. You know the research. You know where to find people. And I take a lot of pride in that. So when somebody asks me, whether it's a caregiver or a, a, a collaborator or a colleague, I'm proud to say I, I can find it, even if it's in another part of the country. Right. California, Florida, or where I'm from, New England, and say, if I don't know now, I will find them for you. And I do. That's very nice. And that's very resourceful because a lot of times that's what people are looking for. Right. And even though I'm in the Pacific Northwest, I do help people all over the country. That's been the one positive for me about yeah. the pandemic and right. moving to virtual, et cetera. I've been yeah. able to help people all over the country. I'll that's give you a quick wonderful. example. There's woman here in the Portland area. Uh, her mom is in Florida with mm-hmm. her, who had, she has dementia, her two siblings, her aunt, and we get on a Zoom call and we talk about the issues. We talk to a one of the senior housing advisors and also a certified senior advisor like myself, who I connected with five years ago when I was first starting. Okay. And we were able to get some good referrals. And so even though Obviously, mom is not going to get better. We hope that she plateaus. We hope we can maintain quality of life as long as possible, but we know she's not going to get better. But we, how do we deal with those issues? Her right. health care, her legal matters, uh, bringing in home care, that type of thing. So they, they are definitely sleeping better at night. That is true. That is is true. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about the kind of support that employers should give their staff who are caring for their loved ones. So job one would be, if you are, is be aware of Family Medical and Leave Act. Mm -hmm. What are you legally entitled to? And even though I had a lot of sick leave at work Mm -hmm. and took it as I needed, I still applied for FEMLA Mm -hmm. to protect my my job, just in case. As I mentioned, I had an unfortunate supervisor the good part was that she had had some background in senior care. So she did okay. understand. She wasn't completely unfeeling. It was hard on me as far as my work. I won't go into that. But it's it's very helpful to have support. If you need to go to your HR department or mm-hmm. whoever handles those things at your small to large company and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And I'm going to need to use my sick leave. And when it runs out, I'm worried about my job. What are my rights? What am I entitled to? Right, right. And I think I think that's really the key is is to communicate with them. They should be understanding in this day and age, especially during the pandemic. And and and, and I feel for families. Look what mm-hmm. they're going through with with daycare and mm-hmm. taking care of the ones who, are, especially ones in a sandwich generation. Yes, exactly. They're dealing maybe with a senior, and they've got their oh, kids. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. I don't have kids. I don't know if you're not familiar with the. The old acronym, DINKS, dual income, no kids. Okay. We both worked full time, but we had no kids. And suddenly I had an early 70s uh, parent with childlike behaviors. Oh, yeah. With no training. No, no training. <laughs> <laughs> no experience of kids. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> oh, so, it, so now it would have been a very different situation because a lot of us are working from home as opposed to working in an office. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I think the key is communication, know your rights, educate yourself. There's a lot of good information, again, on alz.org, the Alzheimer's Association. 
You and I share this mutual tie to the Alzheimer's Association because you did say you have been running this uh, support group for at least eight years. I have mm-hmm. been on the Alzheimer's Association board for at least eight years. Wonderful. And I've been the ambassador for that long as well. So I do a lot of work with them, a lot of collaboration with them. So I truly appreciate all the work that you're doing in that space. Well, I I can tell you a quick story that after I became the facilitator of that group (laughs) and I went to our training and a young woman sits down in front of me and starts talking about the walked-in Alzheimer's. And I said within a minute or two, something tells me I'm not just going to be doing the walk. I'm going to be a team captain. (laughs) And she said, yes. (laughs) <laughs> and that's that's right. I did all the other fundraising, advocacy, oh, cool. the capital, et cetera. But this was my eighth year with Team Sheila, named after my I, mother. I, I am on, I'm on the committee, and I've been at least a champion every year in the last two years in a league grand champion fundraiser. I'm very proud of that because this, again, is my passion. That's, that's the job that's is my encore career. This is my passion. <laughs> that that's great that is great that is wonderful thank you for sharing those stories and thank you too for doing it as well <laughs> oh, you're welcome so if you were able to talk to yourself at the beginning of your caregiving journey what message would you share one yes make yourself aware and educated learn as, as much as you can so you know what to expect mm. i didn't i'm not going to say i went to school to do it, but I read quite a bit and learned quite a bit so that when things happen with my mom, I'd say, oh, okay, this is happening now. Big sigh, big deep breath and say, okay, what's next? What's next? So I wasn't blindsided. I knew what was coming. Uh, The other is, again, go to a support group. Mm -hmm. It's very, very important. If necessary, if you're really stressed, it's really difficult. And if you have... Uh, particularly if you have employment benefits, that's where I got my counseling for. Right. Uh, it was it was the perfect person for me. But she happened to be in the same cultural background as me. And <laughs> so she understood my family. <laughs> and <laughs> she had an HR background. So it helped me deal with the boss. Right. <laughs> so those things that really happened were very important. And the other is to be sure to look for that support from others. Mm-hmm. and practice self-care. I know you're going to ask about that as well. Yeah. And, and we can talk about that some more. But I like to use this uh, story about sometimes you just need to ask because, you know, some people don't know what to do. They don't know what kind of help you need. Yeah. If you need anything, please tell me. But then one, the caregiver may not ask. And number yeah. two, the friend or the neighbor may not know what to do. Sometimes right. I say, just bring them something, bring them a, a meal. They'll probably appreciate it because that's one less mm-hmm. thing they have to do. Can I pick up prescriptions, as you mentioned earlier? Yeah. Um, when mom was in hospice in her care community the last couple of weeks, and I'm staying overnight, mm-hmm. my aunt who had moved out from New York was there in the daytime with her, which was nice. And she stayed yeah. in Portland. She loved it. <laughs> um, I got on social media because the, the coffee was horrible. And the, mm. care, the care was great. But the coffee wasn't good. <laughs> <laughs> Portland loves its coffee. Um, so I got on social media and I said, can somebody please bring me a mocha latte? Ah. Two different people showed up, two different friends from two different coffee stands. Oh, nice. Nice. Oh. Sometimes you just have to ask. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that acts 
is something that I find as possible within caregiving community to see and find it difficult to do. And boy, if we do that, that will be so helpful to many people. Mm-hmm. Because I mean, just, just being out there and ask for a coffee and then you have two people showed up, two different coffees, you know? So, I, and I definitely remember who they were. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I easily met some of them. Hey, I talk about you anonymously. <laughs> I still love that. That that is that is really beautiful. What what are some of the discussion points that are typically ignored amongst um, caregivers that you feel are important in this journey? Because your person with dementia or your loved one with another kind of condition can't speak Mm -hmm. for themselves, you have to be an advocate for them. So whether it's with legal or financial or health or other professionals, uh, yes, speak up for them. You can question the doctors. You can question the care staff. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be a, a pain about it. You can work with them. You, you're, you're an alliance. You're a partnership. Again, I, I like to put together the team. Communicate mm-hmm. with them. These are my expectations. Hold them accountable, yes. And go to your care conferences with the staff or with the care home, whoever it is, mm-hmm. and, and, and communicate for them. And just Great. be engaged. It doesn't have to take a lot of time and energy. A lot of places don't mind communicating by email or texting, et cetera. You don't have to necessarily be there all the time. And by the way, if your loved one is in a care facility or care home, don't show up at the same time every day. Go at different times of the day. It's, I like that. It's not checking on them. It's just keeping them on their toes. <laughs> I love it. I love that. You know, I said this all the time, Bill. I said, you know, for me, it is my experience that, you know, as we discussed at the beginning of our conversation, I think it was before we get the cameras on. Or, but, you know, there is short staff in our industry. Mm-hmm. So, and the facilities do feel that pain. They want to do a good job. Mm-hmm. They do. But they they don't have enough staff. So if your person is in there, you have to show up often and show up on predictable times. That way they will be taken care of because who knows? They don't know what time you're going to show up, but they know that you're going to come and they want to make sure. Mrs. Smith's coming at five o'clock. We better take care of her mom. We better take care of that before, you know, the the son shows up or the daughter shows up or whoever is coming, you know? So I, I think that is such a, uh, an important message to send out there because I, I think a lot of times people put their f- families in the facility and say, ah, they are in good hands. Yes, they are. Mm-hmm. But sometimes those hands are challenged and then their priorities shift, mm-hmm. not because they don't care, but because of the limited resources mm-hmm. that they have. And in, the, in that case, it's the staffing. And the other, the other thing I would uh, get into very briefly is we don't want to correct them. We don't want to try to bring them into our timeline where we are now. Look, get into their reality. Where are they at? Ask mm-hmm. some questions when they say, I want to go home. So where is home? You know, they may not be talking about even where they last lived. They may be talking right. about where they, their childhood or where they raised their family. Mm-hmm. So we need to get into theirs and not try to bring them into ours because right. it's not going to work. We can't fix it. We can't correct them. We can't make it better except how we react, how we manage those people, that yeah. care, those behaviors. Yeah. 
Absolutely, absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, Bill, what do you do for self-care? I'm going to give an example that I have done ever since I was working full-time and taking care of mom. And mm-hmm. I got into the habit of getting regular massage. Huh. Because, nice. and, I, and I realized this is not a luxury. This is a necessity. And I've kept that habit to today. I don't care how expensive it was. I mean, I found ways to do it inexpensively back yeah. then. Now I haven't been in a better position. So it, uh, and it's still just, it's not a luxury. It's just something that's important. I like to use the term self-care is not selfish. It's vital. It's vital. Absolutely. And there's some other things we can do even with the pandemic. You can take a bath with essential oils and CBD and candles and maybe a nice beverage. I'm not going to get into that. Bubbles, if you prefer. (laughs) (laughs) Go for a walk with a friend if somebody can keep an eye on your loved one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Have somebody say, can you just watch them for a couple of hours? And I I need to take a break. Meet somebody for coffee. Right. Uh, read a book, uh, listen to music, and that's good for your person as well. You know, we a lot of us may have seen the documentary Alive Inside or that recent 60 Minutes with Tony Bennett and Lady Gaga. Yes. He's, he's oh, 95 with Alzheimer's. He remembers every note. I know. Music, music the power of music. Exactly. Oh, my goodness. So yes. The idea of Alive Inside is put their music, their favorite music if not on the radio, like in an iPod with headphones and let them listen to that. They just amazingly come alive. Oh, another one was recently, they showed this former ballerina. They're playing Swan Lake. She's sitting in a chair and doing her movements oh. like she did when she was 25 years old. Wow. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. yeah. So that's important. It is very important. You know, Bill, there is this question that I also want to add to it is... Um, how did becoming a primary care of your mom impacted your work life? Very stressful, very stressful, but also gratifying. There was no question that this was what I was gonna do when I realized how bad off she was. I was in a, I was fortunately, again, I was in a secure position working for the state of Oregon. Right. So I had rights, I had seniority, I had good tenure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was a difficult, and I was traveling around our state on mm-hmm. my job quite a bit. Right. So I had to make sure that my mom was safe. I had to make sure she was getting good care. Yeah, make yeah. sure that she was as happy and thriving as mm-hmm. she could be with activities, et cetera. Hopefully with some art or other things to keep her engaged or kids coming around or right. listening to music. So that was that was the important thing. That's, that's great. Yeah, well, because if, I, if she was okay... I, my stress will go slower. Go down, yeah. Uh, yeah. But fortunately, after she passed away and that person retired, that boss, my stress level came down to perfect. That's good. And now it's even better. It's good to have a supportive work environment. Um, mm-hmm. so, yeah. My yeah. coworkers all understood and they were really good about that. That's good. So, That's good. Mm-hmm. So for people who want to reach out to you, who will be listening to you and want to reach out to you, Bill, what are the avenues that they can reach out to? What are your contact information? How can mm-hmm. they reach to you? Sure. So my website is Cohen Caregiving Support. That's C-O-H-E-N caregivingsupport.com. And my email is bill at cohencaregivingsupport.com. 
Okay. Phone number I, five. I, I, and my phone number is 503-522-8320. And I mentioned my Facebook community. Uh, any caregivers are welcome to join it. And it, it is a community. Everybody is really supportive, like a real in-person or regular support group. Well, thank you for that information. I'll make sure I share that on the show notes so that people can also have access to it that way in case they didn't catch it on the audio or video. Appreciate that. Yeah, of course. Do you have any concluding thoughts? I think the biggest thing is, again, you don't have to go it alone. There is support out there. There is advice. There are resources. Yeah. Yeah. Don't try to. You're not, not. Again, you're not helping your loved one. You're not helping you by trying to do it all by yourself or all at once. I would say one more thing along those lines, because I had to go through this. Basically, I had to go into triage mode, like mm-hmm. the ER, like the, the battles, battlefield. I had to take care of this most important thing right now. Mm-hmm. This will be next. Everything else would have to wait. Prioritize. You can't do it all yourself, and you can't do it all alone. That is all so at the true. same time. So true. Thank you so much for joining us today at the Super Agent Podcast. And thank you really for sharing your very important perspective. It's wonderful to have you here and for all the the work that you're doing in this space. Thank you. It was an honor to be here. Thanks so much for tuning in to Super Agent Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the program. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out by leaving us a comment or sending us a message via email at superagentpodcast at gmail.com or connect with us through social media. And if you haven't done so already, please feel free to subscribe to any of your favorite podcast listening site, Apple, Spotify, or anywhere you listen to your podcast and leave us a review. Until next time, remember that self-care is self-love. Take good care.